Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Jonah here, Press Row. Sorry, we've been uh, away for a couple weeks. Been traveling first for work, then took a little vacation. Don't like doing this when away from the home studio, so to speak. Find that doing it on a laptop without a microphone leads to pretty lousy audio. And uh, the old adage is, the goal now is to really build up a bit of a library so that doesn't happen again. Some awesome guests coming up, so you'll have to stay tuned. The uh, playoffs in all sports is going on. So we have some non-sports guests coming up as well as some sports guests. Playoffs are rocking and rolling, both in basketball and in hockey. And uh, baseball's act. So cool things going on. And today we do a little bit of hockey playoffs, where we're at, and talk still more about media relationship and interesting topic about why folks who've come into Toronto with high expectations have fizzled out and burned. My guest today is Michael Trakos. It's part two of our conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Please sign up, subscribe. But here's Michael Trakos in the press row. Welcome back. Another episode in the press row. Jonah Siegel here in Seattle. Familiar face for those of you joining on YouTube and other video outlets. Michael Trakos in Toronto from the Hockeyverse, the newly launched Hockeyverse since we last spoke. It was to be determined. I was held under a very strict media embar- embargo. I didn't have a name then, but we knew it was coming. Michael, how are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, glad to be back on the show again with uh, you, Jonah. So they, they teach us all in uh, Podcast 101, unlike radio, you're not always supposed to give the date and time so these things can remain timeless. But we're in the hockey playoffs, and we're probably going to end up talking a little bit about where we are. So let's timestamp this sucker. It is... Uh, Sunday morning, April 23rd at, call it 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, In that, the vast majority of people listening follow the Maple Leafs. They are winning. Hell hath not frozen over. Uh, Didn't look like we'd be saying this, Michael, but they are actually winning the series right now, 2-1. A familiar place for them to be. They've uh, been in this boat. Three of the last four years, up to one. Uh, unfortunately, we know how the rest of that story has ended in each of the three of the last four years. But um, while we don't talk a lot of sports per se, let me ask you this question as, as it relates to that series. Forget what's happened in the three games. Wipe that out of your memory for a second. If we were just talking this morning and I said the Leafs are up to one, would you be surprised? I wouldn't be surprised. And honestly, the only thing I'm surprised about is that, you know, like six years in, this team still hasn't got over the hump because on paper, it's always you go into the playoffs, at least in my mind. And I think a lot of intelligent fans mind 
on paper, it's always a Stanley Cup contending roster. And I, I thought this year, I don't, I don't know if this is the best roster I've seen in the uh, in that six year span because you got to remember, like when some of those guys like Matthews and Marner were on their entry level deals, they did have a lot deeper um, of a roster with like Van Riemsdyk and Kadri. Aside from the point, going into this year, this is a team that I said, okay, once again, circle them, uh, put them with Colorado, put them with Tampa, uh, put them with Boston, and maybe one or two other teams as legit. Yeah, this this can be a team that wins the whole thing. So the fact that they're up 2-1, uh, if you didn't watch a lick of the series, that shouldn't surprise you at all. It's it's always just going to be about can they close out a series, and um we're not there yet. There's still two wins away. So uh, I'm going to hold off on the idea that, yeah, this team looks like they're going to win now the series. I I just think that on paper, they should be able to do it. And uh, again, it goes back to what I keep saying about Kyle Dubas, like whether this team gets out of the first round or not, Kyle Dubas's job in my mind is safe. Um, he, He did everything that you could have asked the GM to do at the deadline. And now it's just a matter of, can the guys on the ice perform and can Sheldon Keefe um, just not get out coached by um, John Cooper and game one, he did get out coached by John Cooper and uh, two and three. I think that um, I don't think it was necessarily a, a coaching battle, but I thought Keefe responded um, in a way where, you know, Toronto's depth is on full display. So let's, Park Dubas for a second, because something happened last night, very undubis like that I want to talk oh, yeah. about. Um, but let, let's come back. So it's 2-1. I think that, I don't know what the right adjective is. You're a better writer than me. But I think there's a, there is one for the first two games, one going Toronto's way, one going Tampa's way. I don't think the adjective is flattering to either team. Um, Whatever they were, they were. Last night was certainly more, and I'll admit, I didn't get to see the whole game. I was a friend's 50th birthday, so I only saw about a period, period and a half, and then I had to go out. But I was following along, and it certainly looked more of a tried-and-true playoff battle between two teams that really don't like each other very much, as opposed to a seven-something, you know, haymaker, if you will. Right. So... In reading a lot and listening to a lot overnight, it certainly seems that people are more comfortable, whether that's right or wrong or justified, because the Leafs finally won one that they typically have lost. Fair statement? 100%. And we had David Alter on the podcast, my podcast uh, this morning, and he basically said the hockey gods were finally shining down on Toronto. And you're right. That's one where you could even point to last year, game six, where it goes to overtime and Matthews hits a post. Um, it could have very easily have been over right there. Toronto could have um, been advancing to the second round. And for whatever reason, uh, whether it's Harold Ballard's ghosts or what have you, but uh, things just didn't go their way. And yeah, last night was a perfect example of um, Toronto's getting outshot. Um, in overtime, Tampa looked like the better team. And for whatever reason now, maybe it's because they got guys like Ryan O'Reilly or Noah Chari, or uh, they've got a Samsonov versus a Jack Campbell. Um, but, you know, it, you know, Lady Luck was on their side last night. 
And yeah, that, that, that's one that Toronto typically doesn't come away with the win. And it's, it's one of those like heartbreaking losses. So we'll see if it continues. Like I said, it, it's still early when you're three games into a series and it's two, one, it, it really can change in a heartbeat. So I think we're, we haven't seen the best of Andre Vasilevsky. I don't think he's been awful in this series, but I was going through it and like he's allowed 14 goals in three games and fine. One was a blowout, but four goals last night, even when Toronto got blown out seven, three, that's, that's three goals. They scored on Vasilevsky. Who's arguably the best goalie in the world, or maybe you don't even argue about that fact. So um, right now, Toronto is not losing the goaltending battle. I don't think they're losing the toughness battle and, you know, behind the bench, I, I know you and I were talking about it. John Cooper, like out coach Sheldon Keefe right at the start of that game one. I don't think we're saying that right now that, you know, Cooper is winning the coaching battle either. So, you know, it, it's right there for Toronto to take. You spent a lot of time on the road. We're going to get there. So you spent a lot of time with people in the game. As a fan, you don't usually admire other teams, coaches, personnel, what have you. I find it really hard to dislike that guy, especially, especially in his post-game conferences, because although you want to hate him, the things that he say, the things that he says and the way in which he says them, you just have to, I just find that I have to admire the guy. Like you, you, he doesn't, he's not, he is so far from a John Tortorella. You know, he's just so smart and politically savvy in the way that he says them even. Have you experienced anyone like him who's who's as uh, skilled an orator? So, like, there, there's a lot of coaches who can really kind of win over the media. Like a Paul Maurice, he's great and he's personable and he gives you that great soundbite. A lot of times I'd be going to the rink and I didn't have a story and then all of a sudden, like, Paul would, you know, fill my notebook, so to speak. Um, you get coaches like that, but Paul Maurice got eaten alive in Toronto. And so many coaches get eaten alive in Toronto, whether it's even Babcock or Randy Carlisle or Ron Wilson. It, it seems like every Hall of Fame type coach comes to Toronto with a great resume and they leave as a guy who can't coach in the NHL again, or at least that's the perception. I would say Cooper would be the guy that is, is perfectly suited for this market. And I know to go from Tampa Bay to Toronto would probably be just a, a huge, huge change for him. But what you're talking about there in just terms of knowing what to say after a game, um, knowing how to take the temperature of his team, and he doesn't make any missteps. And I would love to see John Cooper, whether it's in Toronto or like a, a big market, maybe like a, a New York Rangers. I think it's almost like it's wasted. I know that they've gone to the cup final three straight years. So we, we do see a lot of John Cooper, but in the grand scheme of things, we don't see enough of him. And that's why I really wish that, um, you know, the NHL had gone to the Olympics or we have, or, or we get to see like a, a world cup team because, you know, Cooper is the guy who's going to be ca coaching Canada when we do see NHLers either at an Olympics or a world cup. And, I think that's the stage that is perfectly suited for him. And um, yeah, you spend any time with John Cooper and I, I've spent some time away from the rink with him when he first got a coat, uh, the coaching job in Tampa, me and 
a couple of other reporters were staying at the uh, the Marriott just down from where Amelie Arena is. And Cooper still didn't have a place in Tampa because he had literally just taken over the job and he was staying at the same hotel. So we were out at the the pool area and he's doing his, you know, the pregame kind of breakdown the night before with his video coach and they've got a bucket of beers and we had a bucket of beers at our table. And soon enough, we were both at the same table, just hanging out. And at the time I was kind of thinking, Ooh, this is such a minor league move. This is a bad kind of look for a coach, but that's Cooper, man. And the Cooper that's going to be having a beer with the reporters is the same guy that is going to go into that dressing room and really kind of, you know, dial back the whole pressure and anxiety that typically goes into uh, an NHL dressing room, especially at this time of year. So you, you look at Tampa and you look at the success and um, you look at how long he's been there now. And it's, it's no secret. Like th- this guy is a player's coach, but he also is the kind of coach that knows how to push buttons. And um, after a blowout loss in game two, I thought he was saying the right things uh, last night. I thought he was saying again, the, the, all the right things. And even after Toronto lost to Tampa last year in game seven, what, what was the quote from Cooper is like, if Marner is uh, gone out of Toronto, if Toronto gets rid of Matthews or Marner or any of these guys, I will be first in line to take them on my team. So he's, he's gracious. He knows how to win over not just his fan base, but opposing fan bases. And yeah, it, it really is a skill and it's something that you can't teach. So yeah, I'd love to see John Cooper, like I said, uh, forget Tampa, bring him over to Toronto so we could talk to him every day. So for the record, you're not starting a rumor. You're, you're, you're talking about a wish or a desire, but like his comment after the game last night is all over Twitter this morning talking about the quick whistle there's not too many coaches in any sport who will say there's a ton who will say i don't know what he the referee was thinking there yeah that happens after every game there's not too many that follow it up with the statement of let's be honest though we didn't lose the game because of that call right like Mm -hmm. that's that's the type of thing that we're talking about right like yeah that's what i mean like he's not just this isn't like sour grapes. So the coach is just complaining about a bad call or anything like that. Like he does put everything into perspective. And I think that's something that if you're a Tampa Bay player, you're, you're reading that going, yeah, fine. We got, we might've gotten screwed on that call, but we didn't lose it because of that. And and same thing with the, with Sheldon Keefe this morning. I, I thought he actually did a pretty good job. Like he's, he's talking about, he's trying to get into the ref's head with the whole comment about, um, what, what are the referees allowing uh, Steven Stamkos to just start punching Austin Matthews in the head? So th- there is a bit of gamesmanship going on. I, I, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of game we see in game four, because right now the refs have just kind of just checked out of the series it, in my mind and, and allowing a lot of this to kind of build up and um, they aren't taking guys and just tossing them. So I, I almost think that game four could either be one of those ones where right off the first, uh, scrum um, we're just seeing a parade of guys to the box and then nothing happens or it's still um, you know old western rules and uh, we see like a bloodbath again exceptional bias is a funny thing I was in the car at one point last night and I tried to find Bowen and Ralph but I had to go on the XM app and they only provided me with the Tampa feed and Phil Esposito was going absolutely bonkers <laughs> over the officiating. Just 
How is he on uh, as a color commentator? He's like uh, Bob Uecker, right? Like, <laughs> let's just say that it's unfortunate they don't let him have a few pops before during the game because yeah. it would make it a hell of a lot more fun. But he was. He was going absolutely, he was apoplectic with, with the officiating being so biased for Toronto. It was, it was pretty funny to hear. I didn't hear it. But multiple people reached out to me overnight that during the once-in-a-lifetime fight between Matthews and Stamkos, Joe Bowen commentary on air was, Stamkos is fighting somebody, but I can't see who it is <laughs> because he is not at the game. He's like us. Yeah. Well, he's not like us. He's in a studio. He's not even in the comforts of his home. Uh, one, have you heard that? And two, <laughs> like, you know, we can all joke and laugh about them being really cheap about not sending them. But you got to believe there's a, a small degree of Joe sticking it, you know, the middle finger out there. But how pathetic is it that the Toronto Maple Leafs, certainly, if not the top, and the, certainly in the top two or three wealthiest teams in the league, and, and their play-by-play guy for radio is sitting at home calling the game. Well, Joe knows that a lot of Leaf fans were syncing up their TV and radio together. Like right. That's a thing. And that thing's been going on since I was like uh, in high school or university uh, listening to Leaf games or watching Leaf games. I remember um, it was basically like a lot of people did that. Yeah, um, they just preferred Joe and uh, the Holy Mackinac spiel, and the fact that he is a bit of a homer. Um, there, there's two, two two camps on that, right? Like either like the fact that there's a homer, or you can't stand it. And so the yeah. people who love Joe, love what he brings, um, are tuning in on the radio while watching on TV. And Joe knows that, and he knows he's got a pretty big following, so he was sticking it to them. Uh, I don't know. For a fact that if he just if he didn't know about Matthews uh, that, that it was Matthews, I find that kind of hard to believe. Uh, I don't know about you, but you know which players are on the ice, and you can kind of do an easy kind of um, deducing and saying, okay, well, it's not O'Reilly, and it's not Morgan Riley, and it's not this guy. So who else is left? But well, in it, fairness, it, in fairness, it was it was a while after the play, and. The guy's never been in a fight. He said he's never been in a fight in his career. So I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that it may not have been overly apparent. I know, again, I wasn't watching it live. I have seen a clip and I, it'd be interesting to go back live and see what he, I don't know what angles he's seeing if he's just yeah. watching the same game feed that you and I are watching. Yeah, it's quite possible. Like he literally didn't know. And it goes back to, yeah, um, that's why you need to be at the game. Uh, that's why you need to see it live and you are doing a disservice to your your fan base by not having reporters there and not having a color commentary there and it's the same thing with the jays like uh, calling that game on the uh on the apple broadcast the other night um it just i don't know maybe there's a segment of the new fan out there that just doesn't care they're like i'm watching it on tv so the guy calling it is watching on tv and soon enough we're going to be just watching it on with your favorite Twitch um, Twitch star or influencer that way. But for me, it's just, it, it, it doesn't sit right with me. It rem- To me, the sport where it makes the biggest difference is baseball. 
Um, I've said this a million times. There is something about, I can still hear it, listening to, you know, the hum, the crickets, if you will, mm -hmm. in those moments of silence when Tom or Jerry used to be calling a game, because baseball used to be a game that was somewhat timeless. Now there's a pitch clock that you just can't replicate from a studio <laughs> if you're four, you know, 300 to 5,000 miles away. Um, playoffs to me are, have always been a different animal, right? Like we, we, we actually have overtime in playoffs, sudden death over. We make exceptions for things. Your, your, your old competitor, the Globe and Mail, from my understanding, didn't send anybody on the road for a leaf road trip this year but their beat reporter is in Tampa covering it for the playoffs. Uh, you should be making an exception for the playoffs because it does matter and you're sending yeah. the right message to your fans. That's my opinion. Anyways, I assume you saw the article. I think it was, uh, I think it was either an AP story, a Winnipeg story about, uh, and I put it on Twitter. I can attach it to the article for this pod. The uh, I believe it was the head of finance for uh, post media basically saying that they'd made a decision based on what they considered to be fan feedback and economics, not to send post media writers to playoffs this year so far. Any thoughts? Oh, it's, it's awful. It, it literally, I get it. Like pandemic showed us. Well, I get it because the pandemic proved that you can do the job without being there. You can do uh, you can do a job while being you can do a job, and yeah, it, it, it's been going on. Like uh, I know my colleagues Terry Koshan and Lance Hornby and Steve uh, Simmons, uh, former colleagues at Post Media, would have been at games. Well, at least two of them would have been uh, at games three and four. Um, it would have been at least a reporter and a columnist, and that's typically. I remember Game Seven against the Bruins. In 2019, it was myself, uh, Lance Hornby, Terry Koshan, and Steve Simmons, all four post-media. So we had four guys there. And not that long ago, 2000, I think it was like 2015, we had, I think, seven or eight reporters uh, covering the Stanley Cup final uh, and doing both cities. So not that long ago, we were they were sending reporters en masse. And just to go back to what you were saying about you know, covering a game, um, baseball versus hockey when you're the broadcaster. The one thing that you, it's not even that Joe couldn't see the the player. You notice a difference in the commentary when a building is just humming and it's so loud that it feels like the desk is shaking. And all of a sudden you're listening to whether it's Chris Cuthbert or Greg Simpson or Joe Bowen or whatever, their voice has to go up a couple of decibels because you're talking over that noise in the arena. And that for me, that comes through when I'm watching a game and I'm listening to Cuthbert and he's having to really project his voice now because he can't even hear himself. So that, I think that's what you kind of miss is that there's that natural change that Joe can't do that in the studio. Like he can't just start blasting <laughs> the sound all around him so that he has to now get really up for it. It's all kind of contrived and simulated. So you do miss that. Um, it's unfortunate though, because, you know, it, it's not just the Toronto papers that aren't traveling. Like uh, that story that you're talking about, obviously Winnipeg going to Vegas, 
Um, the Winnipeg Sun uh, wasn't covering that series. And that's that's one in Winnipeg where you've got two papers there. So if it's the Winnipeg Sun is not traveling to Vegas for that game, well, if you're a Jets fan, why are you reading the Winnipeg Sun when the Winnipeg Free Press was at that game? And they do have a reporter in Vegas for that game. Like, it's an easy choice. With a lot of places that Post Media is in, um, say like Vancouver, well, it's, it's, it's the province or the sun, and they're both owned by the same paper. At least here in Toronto, there's that option now. So if I'm a Toronto sun reader and I know the Leaf guys aren't there, well, yeah, I'm going to go to the Globe and Mail or I'm going to go to the Toronto Star, and I believe the Star has, what, a columnist and a reporter at those games as well. So I think I think it, it's becoming Kevin an easy choice for people now. Yeah, I think Kevin McGran and uh, Bruce Arthur, I Bruce believe, Arthur there. I believe, yeah, that's the one I read. So if I'm a reader in Toronto and the Sun is my choice, well, it might not be my choice this week because I'm more interested in you know reading the story from someone who's actually there and not just covering it on TV and grabbing quotes from um the website or i don't know how these guys are getting their quotes these days because there's no zoom meetings afterwards at least in the pandemic there was a a zoom call that we're all on that's not happening anymore so how are you getting these quotes are you, are you just poaching them from other places or are you getting it off website are you getting it from tsn or sportsnet it's it's not a great way to do business and i think you know fans are savvy enough where um, our readers are savvy enough where they, they probably are seeing a change in saying to themselves, okay, why am I paying for a product where they're not investing in, in, in journalism anymore? Well, Mitch Album got himself in pretty hot water years back for writing a story that, for a, I believe it was a Tigers game, that he wasn't at. And I think he got suspended from the free press for doing so. Uh, now we're encouraging people to write stories for games that they weren't at. What I don't think, and I get this a lot because I, I seem to be one of the few banging the drum that all of you guys should be on the road. And to me, it's not about sitting in a press box. It's about what goes on before a game, after a game, around the hotel, around the practice facility. And I keep coming back to, to Doug Smith's book that he wrote about the season, about the Raptors after they won. You know, and he just tells this story that he is sitting in a scrum or waiting for somebody and, and a player walks by him and whispers something in his ear that's about to go down. That doesn't go on if he hasn't established a relationship. Um, you know, the, the things that you learn while sitting in the lobby of a hotel or at the airport, either with an agent or with a coach or with a trainer or whoever, those are all relationships. And those things don't happen if you're covering from home. It just doesn't. And doesn't I think that, and that's the difference between not, not dumping on these guys, an AP story or a CP story and having beat writers out doing their jobs and having people out there to provide actually in-depth analysis because they actually know, because they've spent time and invested in a relationship. That's what I think people are missing. hundred percent. Like a lot of times I'll even when you're in the room, you're, you're not just quoting them on everything they say. A lot of it is just talking about your day. Um, for, for some of these guys who got traded, hey, where are you living right now? How's the family doing? And then it's maybe two days later, you talk to them again. And 
uh, they'll open up to you versus you're not there. I don't know how you get that story. Um, it, it's a, it's a lot of things like people don't realize that it doesn't end just in the dressing room, like walking back to the hotel. A lot of times they're staying at the same hotel as you. So I've shared cabs with NHLers. I, I've, I've walked back and forth from the rink with them. Um, and, and you see their daily interactions and, when your tape recorder or whatever, your phone is not out and you're not recording them, that's when they're at their most honest and um, you get a real sense of how they're feeling. And I've had guys come to me and like back when Dion Phaneuf was on the team, I remember uh, one of the players even saying to me, I was like, I, I, a lot of these shots are coming near your head. I go, do, do you talk to him about that? He go, you think I don't talk to him about that? And don't write that, but write that, he needs to tone his shots down or something like that to that effect. And, and a lot of our column, a lot of column writing is not quoting everything he says. It's your opinion, but that opinion is an educated opinion. And a lot of it, like, know this, like if a Steve Simmons or myself or a Damian Cox is writing something and you're saying, well, that's a, I'm surprised he has that opinion. That opinion didn't just come to him for no reason someone said something that sparked that opinion or it's straight from this guy's mouth, but we're not quoting him because we don't want to get him in trouble, but this is what's actually happening behind the scenes that you should know about. So no, you, you lose a lot of that educated thought. And those things are based on relationships. And as you said, the yeah. last time you joined us, a lot of times you said you were walking around the room, you'll get pulled aside and a player will say to you, have you heard what we're doing at the deadline? Have you heard who we're trying to sign? Yes. Am I in trouble? Do you think I'm going to get traded? Well, again, that means that there's a relationship of trust. And to me, that, that establishes that because you've been around and because you've probably been fair to them, not doesn't mean that you're not critical, but you've been fair that they trust you and they're willing to have that engaging discussion. Yeah, it's... And fair in my mind is if you're if you're playing poorly or you made a mistake, it's calling them the player on that. And when they have something go right with them, it's also giving them their worth. And a lot, that's why I always laugh when you know some people on Twitter would be like, "Oh, you're so negative about the Leafs. You, you never write anything positive." I'm like, "Give me something positive to write about, and I'll write it." It's just how do you? been the the fact that they haven't advanced past the first round in six years like you can't make something up and i think that's where there's that disconnect where fans want sometimes just the pom-pom waving columnists but it, it's i think the smart hockey players and the ones that definitely go into media afterwards they, they get what it's all about and um like you said it's it, it a lot of a lot of what a reporter or a columnist does um, doesn't show up specifically like in the paper. It's it's 90% of it is relationship building and gaining trust and um, really, really telling a, a story that's three-dimensional, not just based on, okay, this guy just said something in a scrum. Well, a lot of your story is going to go uh, beyond just the scrum. You said something earlier that is fascinating given that Nick Nurse got fired this week and you said that a lot of great or a lot of coaches or management including some hall of famers paraphrasing have had the snot kicked out of them in Toronto yeah 
Why do you think that is? That's a good question, Jonah, because like Pat Quinn is the really, I think we have to go back to Pat Quinn to find a NHL coach that um, came in with a reputation and, or maybe even, yeah, Pat Quinn, Pat Burns were the last guys who left Toronto and they're with the uh, reputation sort of intact. And you could even say even Quinn, when he was uh, gone, that, you know, some of the shine had left him. I know he won a world junior title after that, but did he coach in the NHL since then? What, was he with another team? I can't remember now. Maybe was it was with Mike's, Edmonton. That was the Mike Smith divorce, right? Like the team went with Smith over him. Am I, is that right? No, that was the, well, that was like the JFJ with Pat Quinn. Um, so Fergie basically took over as GM. I think Quinn was doing like uh, GM slash coach. But wasn't that guy Mike Smith kind of lurking around in the background? Wasn't that his name? I think it was Mike Smith. Because it was Paul Maurice took over after Quinn. But there was a third, there was a, Ken Dryden was around and he had that third guy lurking around. Wasn't his name Mike Smith? I don't remember Mike Smith. <laughs> he was a strange dude. He was kind of lurking around. Well, that, that's a, your there point was, though. Like there was this three-headed monster. There was another guy in there who, who was in the Leaf brain trust and i remember that uh i remember that pat quinn hated him he didn't like jfj either nobody liked jfs jay <laughs> maybe jeff o'neill liked him <laughs> well he liked him now because he's a good soundbite uh so what are we talking yeah, about yeah I don't, I don't know why i don't know why people can't survive in toronto he was a front office executive with the maple leafs i know i'm not crazy okay mike smith so there you go. He's the the cause of everything gone. That's wrong right. With the, the Pat Quinn era, basically. <laughs> Would you have any ideas why uh, so many coaches come here? So here's and, my question for you. Like, so I don't get it. So here's the question. Well, one, is it a? Everyone tells me that it's not an issue of the media is too tough. I do wonder if it's an issue of volume. So. They say that New York is way harsher, H A R S H E R, and that Montreal is way harsher. You'd know yep. better than me. But the volume in Toronto at peak, that the guy could walk into a practice, forget a game at a practice, and just could have, as you just said, from, at, at its peak, from the, from the star of the sun in the globe, from TSN Sportsnet, at the time, you had 640 and the fan, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think the athletic was a thing back then, but you could have had, you know, City but, TV, you had, right. you had a ton of. Reporters. So you could have 20 to 30 at a practice, at, oh, yeah. a, at a regular practice. And if they made a trade or a signing, it could be 50. Yeah. So, so could it be that? Like, I don't know. Like, so, you know how crazy it's been lately? I know like everyone is cutting and we're talking about media outlets on, are on the road and right. you know, it's just not the, the, the quantity of reporters that's changing again, because there is now a limit on how many people can get in the room. That's how crazy it's getting. So all the Montreal, like during this series, I don't know if you noticed, but like La Presse is covering the Leafs yep. series. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, 
RDS. TSN, French one. What is that? RDS is there. Um, Le Journal is also there. I counted, I think, a dozen French media uh, for this series. That's a lot. Right. And the fact that you have to now tell the Leafs if you're going to be covering a practice on an off day because they don't have, um, they, they can't allow every single reporter in. That tells me that it's just not going away. So I'm with you. There, there is a ton of volume. There's a ton of volume in Montreal, though, also. And in Montreal, it's really dicey because you get all the French questions and you get all the English questions. So basically having to answer the same question in both languages, which is um, tell me how tiresome that's going to be if you're a player on a, you know, like a 10-game goalless streak. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm with you. There are some coaches who, um, like, Babcock was famous for just cutting off questions after like the second or third one, just cause he's like, I'm not doing this every single day where you know, ask me about uh, player X and player Y and player Z. Keith stands there. He'll talk until um, all the questions are done. We'll see if that continues year after year after year, but yeah, I'm with you. It probably is just a day after day, the same old, same old and, some players, like we saw Phil Kessel, got tired of it real quick. Um, and then there's even some players in this team who you could see, they, they don't want to talk every day. And um, thankfully, on the Leafs roster, there's so many stars there. If Matthews doesn't talk today, well, then you can always go to Marner. If he also doesn't want to talk, then you can go to Tavares. And if he's not him, then Nylander or O'Reilly or Riley or, or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just down the list, it's just a lot of name players, but... I don't, I don't know if that's the reason why coaches are um, like Babcock was the, the real one to me. That was just so strange. Like you're talking about a guy who won two gold medals for Canada, won a world cup, had won a Stanley cup, had been in the playoffs for like what, like 15 or 12 straight years in Detroit um, could do no wrong. What was considered just like the best coach since Scotty Bowman in a lot of people's minds. You mentioned Mike Babcock's name right now. And Mark. Money. He's a bully. He's a tyrant. Uh, he was garbage. You know what? Well, he won in Detroit because they had Hall of Famers. He, he won. Everyone could do Anyone could have coached that Team Canada team. It, it is such a night and day reversal as to what Babcock was coming in and what he is right now because it, it's kind of shocking. I, I, I get it. That whole thing with Mitch Marner and making him drop a uh, a list of names as to who the hardest worker players on the team are. And at the same time, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm, I'm kind of revisiting why people are upset with him and why they think he's a bully. And I'm like, is that what he did wrong? Like, that's the only thing he did wrong. Like, has anyone watched Daryl Sutter and how he coaches the flames? He's like kicking guys in the back um, during his old days and berating guys. And just like, it, it's amazing how, Mike Babcock still doesn't have a job in the NHL in my mind. And I don't know if that's partly because Mike doesn't want to coach and he was still getting paid all these years by Toronto. But like, like I said, like Mike Babcock, you, I would thought after Toronto win or lose, he would still be uh, the guy that was still held up in that high esteem. And it's, it's not happening. And same thing with Randy Carlisle. Like he came in as a guy who had won a cup in Anaheim. He left as a guy who, didn't know how to coach apparently because again, like fans turned on him really quick. Uh, Ron Wilson was the winningest coach in us hi coaching history. Again, he left Toronto and it was like, what was he coaching after that? A world junior team. And that was 
that was the end of Randy Carl or Ron Wilson as well. So Paul Maurice has landed on his feet and he's really been the only guy. But is that a function of the fans or is it a function of the media or are they attached in your opinion? I think it's a function of you come to Toronto and the spotlight is bigger than ever before. And you fly that close to the sun and you don't win, man, you get burned and you go down hard. I think it's, it's literally the stakes have never been this high. And there's a reason why Babcock was getting the money he was getting because it's not, it's not a coaching job like any other. I think you either win and you got schools named after you. And if you lose, you are persona non grata and you're an idiot because so, you couldn't get it done. So would you argue then that he was too successful for his own good too fast because he took over yeah. a God awful team and bottomed out. And then the next year they almost took uh, Washington to uh, they almost, you know, they gave Washington a good run for their money. Right. So, to I, his I, so, but by your argument to his detriment, because yeah. if they had a slower growth, and they don't make the playoffs. No, it didn't matter. It, whether it happened right away or not, I think Mike Babcock, it was either win a cup or we're seeing what we're seeing right now. Right. And Sheldon Keefe is a little different because he didn't come in with the same sort of reputation. Um, I, I still think it was kind of... Yeah, I, I still think people are still... like the The book is still being written about how good of a coach Sheldon Keefe is. I don't think anyone's really pointing to him saying, okay, this is a, like, has he gotten any talk for the Jack Adams trophy as coach of the year? No, because this team is just stacked and you or I could coach them in a lot of people's minds. So we'll, we'll see what happens with Sheldon. I, I think he's the kind of guy that, um, you know, if the Leafs go out in the first or second round this year and they decide to move on from Keefe and there's a new GM or something like something happens, uh, I could see Sheldon getting another job because now he can yeah. say, listen, I, I went from coaching them as two St. Marie Greyhounds to the Marlies. And then I was a, a head coach of the Leafs. So I've been in a pressure situation. Yeah. Put me in Seattle or put me in wherever and uh, maybe Vancouver and I can do the job there. Um, but with Babcock, with Carlisle, with Wilson, they came in as top of the pecking order. And I think it would have been the same thing at, Barry Trotz taken the job or had been offered the job and he came in and, you know, the Leafs go out. I think a lot of people would have been going, Barry Trotz isn't a good coach <laughs> just because right. he couldn't get it done here. Right. So good transition point. I'm shocked at the video that is circulating on Twitter of, of Kyle Dubas yeah. enga engaging with a fan. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I do. I do have an MRI this morning, so I didn't see if anything's been published about it. I've seen two schools of thought. I saw one from a couple of people saying he was actually screaming at Leaf fans, which it's Tampa is not entirely impossible. Mm -hmm. But the bulk of them were like, "No, he was going after Tampa fans after the point hit, the hit on point." So, one, do you have any? Have you seen anything clarifying either of them? official nope. or otherwise i haven't seen anything i don't even know how it started like i get it was right after the the point hit and but i don't know if someone like threw like i don't know what incensed them so so badly where like i was thinking did someone throw something up in the press box and uh is that sort of how it sparked because i get it like 
you, you always put a camera on Kyle Dubas. You always put a camera on the GM because you'd love to see the reaction. And of course, if Fergie was the GM in Toronto. He'd be throwing phones like you could just hear the phone just being like bang, 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 kicking walls. It, it, there's some GMs who just like lose their minds. I've never seen Kyle lose his mind like that, though. It, it's generally just like throw the gum down or oh, we've seen him show some emotions. For those of us who can read lips, he loses it often, but he's never lost it. I've never, well, first of all, in Toronto, he's not close enough to a fan to engage. Right. This seems very uncharacteristic of somebody who seems very guarded, very process oriented. Like this seems like a guy who was almost unhinged or rattled. Does that tell you how much pressure he's under? Or that's, how what that's, that's, what, that's what I'm asking. Like I'm surprised. In the one sense, that's what that's the discussion I want to have because uh, Frank Saravelli was on a podcast. I think it was last Saturday. Yeah. Um, where he came out and said that you know there is a serious there is a strain on the relate. He obviously raised it because it's more than just the usual GM president of hockey operations strain, but there's a strain in the relationship between Dubas and Shanahan. Um, a couple of people, I think Chris Johnson came out and said he didn't think it was anything, or maybe it was Elliot Friedman, and one of the two came out and said, you know, it's the normal pressure between the two. But, mm-hmm. you know, they've seen them at the rink since, and they're standing watching practice together. They certainly don't look like uh, they're, they're Tom and Jerry, so to speak, ready, ready to kill each other. Any, any thoughts on, on that relationship? Well, I always thought that they were tied at the hip and not just because like, not to say that they're just buddy, buddy tied at the hip, but if one goes down, the other one's going down too. I thought it was a package deal that way. And what Cervelli's report sort of hinted at was that maybe both or one knows that if they don't achieve a certain goal this year, that they're going out and this is maybe Shanahan is already sort of trying to save his own bacon. And Dubas is also worried about that. But can you imagine a scenario, Jonah, where Shanahan keeps his job, but Dubas doesn't or vice versa? My problem in both instances, to be completely honest, is I don't know who you're replacing either guy with. Yeah. And and saying, oh, we're going to do this much better because we now have this guy like either guy has failed miserably and here's why and here's the candidate that's going to replace them that's going to address it you know what i mean i'm, I'm with you 100 percent. and it's not even that there's a guy waiting in the wings and you're even going, if there well, isn't, it'd be great to have him even if there, but but say i do believe that the toronto job is like a couple a few other jobs that when they are open funny things happen yeah. um you know you know that you know you rem- we remember John Farrell leaving the Blue Jay job because the Red Sox like things happen. So yeah. Brian Burke suddenly left Anaheim because Toronto became available, and I'm not an arrogant Maple Leaf fan, but even back in the day when Ken Holland was winning championships in Detroit, people wanted him to come to Toronto. David yes. Poyle was targeted uh, before he went to Nashville, I believe, to come to Toronto. So. If you could wave your magic wand and said, okay, this is the guy that I want now to come run the Leafs 
instead of Brendan and, and Kyle, who's the guy? Steve Eiserman? Is that who you want? Jim Rutherford. Yeah, right. But you know what I mean? Listen, if you're going to drop a list of most important guys in Toronto management, it's yeah. not Shanahan. It's not Dubas. Yeah. You're capologist. Right. <laughs> right. You, you see the work that they've been doing. But just like, I just don't understand this whole idea. Like, I, fine. I don't think there's a guy that on paper right now or even working in another market that I would want to have other than Kyle Dubas and Brent Shanahan. For the simple fact is, year after year, this is a regular season team that is just a pure juggernaut. And every time they go into the playoffs, they're always one of four or five teams that you're saying could easily win. This isn't a, we got into the playoffs and if you're in the playoffs, well, you can theoretically win a Stanley cup. No, like every year, whether they were facing Montreal in the first round or Tampa in the first round or, or Boston, in the first round, they were always known as a Stanley cup contender and a legit contender. So I don't understand how you can move on from that just because you keep getting bounced in the first round, fire the coach, trade one of the core guys. There, there are a number of moves I would make before I would even get to Brendan Shanahan and Kyle Dubas, because, you know, I, I keep raising this question with buddies of mine. I said, would you rather have a team like San Jose back when they had Marlowe and Thornton and um, they were a regular season like president trophy winning team, but they just couldn't get it done in the playoffs. They never achieved anything really in the playoffs. Or would you rather have that Carolina team that won in 2005 and six, um, you win a cup and then you're not in the playoffs for like seven straight years. Like for me, it's the no brainer. I'll take an 82 game season winner versus you got hot in the playoffs, you won a cup, and then you sucked for the next decade. So give me the architect of that team. And again, if the Leafs get bounced in the first round, I'm not blaming the guy that built the team. I'm blaming the guys that just didn't get it done on the ice because I can go up and down this Leaf roster uh, to start the season and then the augmentations that he made at the trade deadline. And I just don't see the logic in moving on from either guy. So I'd be shocked, honestly, even if the Leafs end up losing the next uh, three games and they get bounced in the first round, if Dubas or Shanahan are gone, um, unless they want to just leave and they're just tired of being here. Right. So then it comes back to why the reaction last night. They still want to win, Jonah. <laughs> no, no, but you, you <laughs> said to me, sorry, the attorney comes out. You said to me, can you imagine the pressure that he's under and how important this is? Yes. To react that way. It wasn't, this wasn't Brian Burke up there. This was Kyle, like mild mannered, nice guy, you know, Kyle Dubu, Dubas. But you know, like if you were going to describe Kyle Dubas, how would you describe him? You would not describe him. Sheepish is the word, right? <laughs> what was the word? Sorry. Sheepish. Yeah, he's a nice, he, he comes across as a nice guy. That's not sure. bad, right? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get it. He's not bombastic. He's not, he doesn't pick fights with the media. He's not he truculent. What were those words? He's not going on sports talk radio and just, you know, going off. He picks his it, it was out of character, if you want to say. Right. So that comes from, it's one thing to see him when there's a horrible call 
dropping F-bombs to whoever's sitting next to him, Spezza or otherwise. I get that. Thank God we see that because he shows emotion. But to get into it with a fan, as I think you accurately said, is very uncharacteristic. And I think yeah. you're right. I think it's symbolic of a massive amount of pressure. But the only reason he has the pressure is perhaps he knows something that we don't. Yeah, I hear you. I don't think he's getting fired. I, I think that would just, I, I would literally be shocked. And I don't think there's a scenario where he gets fired, especially when you think that this summer is so important in re-signing Matthews. And not to say that if Dubas is gone, Matthews is gone with them because he's, again, those guys are tied at the hip. But I just think there's so much riding on that, on that contract. And I think a lot of the parameters are already in place. Uh, where you don't want to have another GM sort of take over in the middle of a contract negotiation. That being said, Kyle Dubas isn't sure that he's going to be here. And I could say that Kyle Dubas's job is safe and you could say his job is safe. And, you know, all of Leaf Nation could say his job is safe. But does Kyle think his job is safe? Or does he think that he has to achieve a certain level or he actually might be gone? Maybe he thinks that, and maybe I'm completely wrong. And, I, and it's not like um, Leaf ownership has already kind of said, hey, we've got Kyle Dubas uh, signed to an extension. The simple fact is he, his contract runs out at the end of the season. So there, there is a lot of unknown. But me, I, I can't imagine a scenario where he's not back. I don't, I'm not saying he's safe. One, I don't if, – if I'm in that boardroom – and one of the directors is saying, we got to get rid of that guy. Again, my question would be, in favor of who? And what are the data points that suggest that that person's going to be any better than what we got? And so I'm going to play I, the devil's advocate in a yeah. sec. I'll let you finish. Yeah. But my, my second point is, what assurances do you have that he's actually just not going to bolt himself and go to one of several teams that, that either do currently have openings or could have openings? In a, in a couple of weeks. So the, the only thing I would say is if a board member is saying we needed to get to the final because we needed, whether it's TV revenue, right. whatever, we're just, just bottom line is Leafs going out early did not help our bottom end. I don't care if you think this team was a Stanley cup contender on paper or whatever. The simple fact is we lost what we expected and we penciled in this revenue and we yeah. just didn't get it. Do we need Kyle Dubas here? Do we keep, maybe let's keep Brennan Shanahan. He's a president, the president of a hockey team. And you look at Vancouver and you look at some other markets where the president actually has a lot of sway. I don't know how much of the steering wheel Brennan Shanahan has his two hands on, but if you've got a president who is Brennan Shanahan, maybe you're saying, okay, well, we have Shanahan. We still have the capologist, Brandon Pridham. Do we, how important is a general manager in today's NHL? Can we maybe just get a Haley Wickenheiser in there and she'll learn on the job and you know what, a lot of the decision-making and a lot of the, the stuff that's going to go on, well, it's still going to come down to Shanahan and the capologist and with Haley's help, uh, we, we, we can make this work. Maybe they do that. Maybe they are so clueless that they think that is an option. So, so the answer to your question, I think, would be if this is a fiscal issue, and, and I got to believe this would be purely 
a reactive response, right? Like this would be Edward Rogers Jr., whoever the member is from Bell, you know, wanting blood because once again, the team didn't make it, right? Yeah. But, but if the response was fiscal, you know, how much does Kyle make a year? A couple million bucks? Probably not as much as Shanahan. Right. So, so firing Kyle Dubas isn't going to save you whatever they lost on the NHL deal this year. I, I'm with you. And that's why I say I'm going to play the devil's advocate because right. I don't believe it. Like, I'm going to say this to him blue in the face, but I just don't see a scenario where I think it's more likely. I think it's more likely between the two that he leaves on his own volition than they fire him. Can you imagine him going to Ottawa or Pittsburgh or Philly? Like there's jobs available there. Like where Dubas, as soon as he is out of Toronto, he, he's going to get hired. Right. That's, because of the team he built. But that's and, the same reason why, why would you get rid of him? That's and, but, but, but he now, but the, the minute the season ends, the con- that's right. And, and all of a sudden, if, if Cerevelli's right and the relationship is strained and maybe Shanahan has more influence than we think, mm-hmm. What if he wants Shanny's job and he wants to take somebody like a Prudhomme with him and make that guy his GM in a Pittsburgh? Yeah, that is uh, that is a scenario that you could definitely see happening. I don't know. To me, there though, until this team gets the job done, like if you're a general manager, don't you want to just stick it out and just? That's the thing. You don't want you don't want to be the guy who leaves and then they win the year after. Correct. And not only that, it's his, whether he drafted them or not, they're his guys, you know, they're his guys. This is, we we keep calling it the Shanna plan or whatever, but Dubas has his fingerprints all over. Oh, uh, this this is his team. Like he brought in Tavares, which was um, the first domino to fall in my mind. Um, And he's the one who signed them to their, their big boy contracts. So yeah, I, I still think that, I, I, Kyle has some unfinished business. And I think for the same reason why he has unfinished business, like same with Mitch, same with Austin, like all these guys, it feels like they've been through hell together. I, I do think that they want to actually be here and actually try to win. And I, I do believe that they, like they, they believe in this team. When you look at, you know, you hear the comments um, going back to the beginning of the season. And you're even talking like when you're at that Bruce Springsteen concert, like they, they do hang out together. Uh, and we keep hearing that from players and like, oh, they really like it here. And they, they like being here together. But I think that that holds true with this, uh, this group. And do we think that the guys they acquired actually made a difference this time? And is that a, I think that's a huge difference. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the trade deadline was massive. I, I think... Um, he addressed every need that they had. But the big guy has, has been gold. Ryan O'Reilly. Even, at, even after missing all that, that time, in these few playoff games, he's been gold. He's been everything that they were missing. And having him on the third line helps so much. I think it takes the, a lot of the pressure off. Um, Luke Shen, I, I didn't think he was going to be this big of an uh, have this big of an impact, but... You're seeing already in three games, uh, a guy like Noel Chari. There was certain, there was like a certain flavor of player they got, and they got them all over the place. Whether it was like on the the top six or your bottom six or on the back end, but 
there, there was like a Ryan O'Reilly. It seems like um, that same mentality is like now like sprinkled throughout the lineup. All right. So really quickly, I'll let you go. It's two to one. What's your bold prediction the rest of the way? Toronto and six. I, I said at the six. beginning of the series, Toronto and six. Wow. I think uh, Tampa, I think they lose game four. Uh, Tampa wins game five, and then Toronto finally closes them out in game six. To me, the I was out with a bunch of hockey fans. They said to me, what has to happen for, to Toronto, to, for Toronto to win? We've seen little snippets of Austin Power, Austin Powers, Austin Matthews get pissed and decide that he wants to dominate. Yeah. We see more of that consistently. They win, they win the series. I think as long as Andre Vasilevsky doesn't wake up and remember that he's the best goalie in the world, <laughs> I think Toronto's is not going to have any problems. And we haven't seen him play a good game yet. All right. Which, is, which All right. is kind of scary. But it also tells you, like, he hasn't played a bad game either. It just tells you, like, how much offense Toronto does have. Like, I think Tampa's really coming to the conclusion now that um, they just they can't handle them. It's just another level. All right. So, real quickly, looking around at the other series, yep. what surprised you? What's impressed you? Uh, Edmonton is still a bit of a surprise. Um, I thought they would just. Steamroll. Yeah. Um, now th there's been a couple overtime losses, but yeah, th that team just doesn't, they don't, I thought they were a Stanley cup winner this year. I have. So the, that that's been kind of surprising. Um, the other one is Colorado. Like you, you and I were talking about Colorado and Seattle and how Seattle was. Did you think that they were going to be a little better than, no, I, th you I, th they were there? I thought Colorado was going to win in four. Yeah. Then, okay. So there we go. And then the Kraken really surprised me. And then game three, Seattle was up two nothing late in the first. And they had the chance to put a goal in very late at the first period. Mm -hmm. And they missed on a breakaway. And I think if they had scored there, to go up three, nothing after oh. one, they would have really had them on the ropes, but they didn't. And then Colorado, obviously somebody said something in the locker room and they came out and scored too quick and finished. The, they had them on their heels the rest of the game. Yeah. And then last night I didn't see it again. I was out, but based on everything I read, Seattle kind of danced with them a little bit, but Colorado is really good and really deep. Yeah. When you win a cup, something changes within the whole dressing room where it's like you can now come back after like a, a crappy period or you can just kind of flip that switch. It seems like I'm I still picking, I don't know. I picked Edmonton and uh, the Rangers to be in the final. I don't, I'm not so confident now. I, I I'm more now thinking it's going to be Colorado Rangers. I like Colorado a lot. I don't know who I like in the East yet, but I am surprised that Florida's hanging around a little bit. Yeah, a little. <laughs> Maybe I also thought the Islanders were gonna uh, beat the the Hurricanes. They're and, really a disciplined hockey team. Yeah, it might might be the most boring series though. All right, my friend. <laughs> it was good to that. it was good to have you on. We'll have you on again. It's nice that we also didn't talk about officiating. I I find that just very boring. 
But uh, okay. thanks for coming on. We will see you again. You can check him out on his podcast, one coming later today. Thanks for doing this, Michael. All right. Thanks, Jonah. There you have it. Today's episode of In the Press Row. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you're having a blast listening to and watching whatever sports entertainment you're watching. I'd like to thank Michael Trakos for joining us again. He's promised to come back another time. And please subscribe to your, this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to be a guest or advertise here, you know how to get a hold of me. Either on Twitter at YYZ Sports Media, my direct messages are open, or via email, Jonah at YYZSportsMedia.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time in the press room. If you want to advertise or be a guest, just let me know. Until next time, thanks for following. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.